It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. A couple of weeks ago, there was a very disturbing report by Irish Times social affairs correspondent Kitty Holland about an increase in the number of young women dying by suspected suicide in southwest Dublin. For the first time, these women were taking their own lives at the same rate as men in the area. The tragedy of suicide knows no gender, but to see such an increase among young women and mothers in particular is cause for alarm. Kitty followed up that initial report with a longer piece asking... Why are young mothers taking their own lives? In which she spoke to the family of one young mother who died by suicide and another woman who narrowly avoided a similar fate. Joining me in studio now to talk about it is Kitty Holland and on the line we have Veronica O'Keen, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College and Consultant at Tala Hospital. You're both very welcome to the podcast. Kitty, will you tell us about this story you've written about over the past few days involving 37 deaths by suspected suicide in Dublin South Central in 2017, 50% of whom were women? Yeah. And all in one area, Clondalkin, Tala and Ballyfermot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is something that was uh, brought to my attention um, a, f- a couple of weeks ago and um, I was then wanting to talk to a family affected, so I wrote a lo- this longer piece that was published on, on Monday. Um, yeah, it's affecting particularly women in some of the poorest areas of Dublin and as the memo that I first reported said, it may just be that this part of Dublin is ahead of the curve and we may see this trend continuing in other um, poor, disadvantaged areas around the country, um, but what they're seeing for the first time in the in the history of the state, um, anywhere in the country, is that women are taking their lives in the same numbers as men, and that's really worrying. And what's even more worrying and absolutely heartbreaking is that most of them are mothers, and the level of despair and darkness that those women must be in, that they feel that their children would actually be better off without them, because. They're not taking the children with them. They're not psychotic. They're not mad. These these are rational women in utter despair and feeling that their lives are so bleak and that the lives that they give their children are so bleak that their their children might have a better chance without them. So it represents a threefold increase in terms of ratio. The women are in their 30s. Mm-hmm. 20s and 30s. 20s yeah. and 30s with young school-going children and their lives have been marked by poverty, early school leaving, adverse childhood experiences and possible substance abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, from what I've heard, um, the few cases I've heard of some detail on, the young women have had really tough lives from the get-go um, and that they've had um, tough lives into adulthood and they've had their children young um, and possibly they hoped that having children was going to bring them some brightness. Um, but actually being a mother in a, depri- in a deprived part of Ireland is a really tough, and being a single mother is a really tough station. And to look at your children and not be able to parent them in the way that you thought you were going to be able to, 
must be, um, it just must be soul destroying. And it clearly is. Now, the piece you wrote about April Martin from mm. Belly Farm at 26 years old, who took her own life in May last year, was really quite heartbreaking. Tell us a bit about April Martin, Kitty. Okay, well I met her parents um, last week um, in Ballyfermot and she was a a young mother, single mother um, with a little boy called Brody who's now seven. Um, And she, um, it sounds like from talking to the parents um, had spent, she spent time in homelessness she had been to the local schools um, she went to a college of further education um, she was in and out of work, so she didn't have any secure career. But of course, being a single mother, it's very difficult with the lack of childcare um, to, to 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 take up work. Um, and it sounds like um, her little boy Brody spent an awful lot of time with her grandparents. Um, I didn't actually go into that in the piece, but the grandparents said he spent most of his time with them. He was up there about four nights a week anyway. Um, so it, it it sounds to me that she was quite uh, lonely. Um, possibly quite isolated I don't know so I, I don't want to you know put, project things onto her that I'm, I'm not yes. sure about but that's but that's the impression I got that um, her little boy spent an awful lot of time with her parents and from that I would infer that she spent quite a lot of time on her own possibly and and felt her son was happier down with her grandparents and so they had taken Brody off on holiday last year last May in 2017 and she had been in touch with them on the day she was then to later go on and take her own life um, and she wanted to see Brody, and she wanted to see Brody in the swimming pool and she seemed to be in good form. And the next day her mother said that they were down at the beach and I was showering Brody. she said, and we were going to go for lunch. And her sister, April's aunt, um, took a phone call from Dublin and she came in and said, um, April's dead, she's hung herself in her sitting room. And after that everything went blank and they just had to get back to Dublin and they have no... They have no inkling why or they certainly didn't tell me they had any inkling why they, she did leave a note and it was just say tell Brody I love him so really really sad it is Veronica um, we can't extrapolate of course from one case um, famously people shouldn't be too simplistic about people who take their lives for whatever reason but April Martin was the only girl in the family with three brothers and they loved her to bits uh, she was spoiled, she did Irish dancing, loved makeup and hairdressing and she idolised her little boy, uh, her mother said. We seriously can't make out what happened. Is that a fair summation, Veronica, of these cases, to your knowledge? Or are, they, are, there, are there 30 different reasons for all of this? Um, well, every reason is individual and there's a multiplicity of reasons individual because lives are complex and particularly so um, if there is serious adversity. But there are generalizations. I, I guess I'm, I'm unhappy and uncomfortable talking about individual cases as well. So um, in terms of the generalizations, I think that I was very shocked when I heard about the increase in young women taking their own lives because it's unprecedented. But on reflection, it makes sense because I think there's an awful lot of suffering among women um, that hasn't been brought to our attention. I I think when we think about mental health issues, we think about high rates of suicide among young men. But in fact, depression is at least twice as common in women as it is in men. And that's not 
just and it's a universal finding. So we would see depression as primarily a disease of women and anxiety, ditto with anxiety disorders. Um, I suppose in Dublin particularly, and in Ireland particularly, you know, we haven't a great history. Uh, we haven't acknowledged a lot of things that are difficult for women. And I think particularly in the area of motherhood, we, we've had to idealise motherhood. I mean, we didn't have abortion. We had no choices about whether somebody became a mother. So I think possibly, and I'm not suggesting in even the smallest way that any of these individual cases and that this might be relevant to them, um, because I'm not addressing those individual cases. But I do think that unwanted pregnancies leads to unwanted motherhood. And this is something we've never had a conversation about. And in fact, there's there's probably a dearth of conversations about that around the world, but particularly in Ireland. Um, And the lot of a mother is very, very challenging. And you put that together with the childhood adversity, with the poverty, with the loneliness, um, the lack of education. If people get pregnant when they're very young, they have to drop out of education. Um, They're supposed to be happy. um, But really, the truth is that they are probably very isolated, um, spending all their days looking after a child, you know, while other people are spending their youth making mistakes and having fun. So it's a very, very lonely and and difficult road, as Kitty has said. But I do think we need to look at particular social issues in Ireland, like poverty, a lack of resources for particularly young single women. I mean, there's a kind of a two option for a, a mother who isn't coping, you know, the child goes into care or she gets minimal help. But I think we, we need to increase the sort of help that's available to vulnerable young mothers. I suppose the question, Veronica, is um, these cuts uh, to in state funding for basic supports, education, personal development, youth inclusion, social contact, facilities, that sort of thing. They've been coming down the line for a few years. Is this a sign that we've reached peak cuts impact or is there something else going on? Well, any sort of cut, I think, degrades a person's um, sense of being cared for, really, and the, the, the feeling of being, in a way, discarded and ignored. And also, as a hugely real impact uh, you know having having a difference of a few euro a week makes you know is very significant for a lot of women who are struggling financially so it's it's a real and it's also i think it's a it's a statement um about their value and their their distress um but i i do think it's deeper i think that we have as I said, not address the challenges of motherhood. I don't think we've addressed the consequences of child childhood adversity. Now, I'm not at all surprised 
about childhood adversity because most of our patients have experienced childhood adversity. And that could be anything from something very severe like overt sexual abuse to emotional neglect, which can be quite subtle. But I suppose if a family have a lot of children and they're struggling financially, well, it's difficult for children not to be emotionally neglected because parents... Um, their emotional energy has been taken up by struggle and trying to survive themselves. So most of our patients would have some degree of neglect emotionally. And that is, of course, partly material, but it's also cultural. And maybe it's the same thing in a sense. Kitty, you've been following these stories of of cuts to various services over the years. Has this become... Has, has, has this reached crisis point now or have you seen this coming down the line? And yeah. is, does this surprise you now or should yeah, it surprise no, I, us? I, 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 it has reached, it clearly has reached crisis point and I suppose it was not just the cuts to these services. I mean, a lot of them had to close, particularly from 2008. It was the way the management of them was, was there was a change in management imposed on community projects by um, central government from 2008 on. So they had to merge um, smaller ones had to merge, which meant they were no longer as local. But also they were subsumed, a lot of them, into the local authorities and into kind of centralised management, which meant where they had come from, which would have been from local activists in Cherry Orchard or in Jobstown saying, hey, we need a, a homework club and we need a this, and we, you know, and it was by the community, for the community. That was lost. And that kind of um, bottom-up thing that the state um, supported um, from the early 2000s um, was taken away from the communities and that suited the local authorities did, which didn't like the power that these little local community things had and it suited central government's agenda which is to centralise everything but also um, there was a level of privatisation where some of the, a lot of these community projects had to start to then tender because of EU rules for the right to run them um, which meant then outside organisations were coming in to run the projects for the community. So the whole um, manner of them, the whole um, feel of them changed as well as a lot of them closing down. Um, and I think, you know, the impact of that on um, communities where, just like ourselves, everyone is just trying to make, you know, make a meaningful lives for themselves and their families. And with, it, with no resources and coming from backgrounds where, not not everyone, but a lot don't have the same educational opportunities that we have um, in, in middle class Dublin and um, who would come from families where there has been a lot of poverty. It's it's much more difficult then to kind of navigate life. And, and as, as Veronica says, the impact then on children is, is, is lifelong. And I, I think it's very important to remember that it's not just these mothers who've taken their own lives whose children are now devastated and their likelihood of having, you know, good lives is, is much more difficult going into adulthood. It's the women who haven't taken their lives. It's the women who are struggling day to day with, you know, with, with poverty, with, you know, not being able to make it to the end of the week and buy groceries for the full week, who are depressed, who are struggling perhaps with some kind of substance misuse or alcohol misuse, and who often aren't emotionally available to their children in the way that we would, you know, hope every mother could be or every Every parent could be so. Those children are dealing with the fallout of their mother's mental health um, difficulties. It's not, you know, just you might say this is a small number, and it's just a small number of children. This is hundreds of women, thousands of women, and thousands of children who are impacted by the impact of 
of the cuts and the erosion and hollowing out of 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 services and supports in in working class communities and the impact on their children and Bernardo's will tell you they have projects all over um, the poorer areas of Ireland um, dealing with parents' mental health and the impact that's having on their children, which is devastating. Veronica, you hit on a quite an interesting point there and one that I haven't heard anybody say before in this context, which is forced motherhood and, and yeah. the, the idolatry of motherhood, the suggestion yeah. that it is really that the, you must be happy and you must adore your child or children. Yeah. Um, you obviously have been on to this for, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I think it's an incredibly painful subject. And that's the reason there has been uh, cultural censorship about it. Uh, I remember the first time I spoke about it, a, a journalist came up to me. It wasn't Kitty, obviously. I <laughs> 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 said, I said, I've never heard that before. Now, he was quite a young journalist. I, people do seem to be quite surprised when you talk about it, that there are women who come into me and they're, they're afraid to say that, you know, they don't, they can't cope with being a mother. Um, because we don't allow people to say that, I think. And the idea is that one has to want and love one's children. And that isn't always the case. Um, but it's more so, the, more likely to be the case in somebody who can't cope materially or emotionally with motherhood. In other words, they've been abused themselves, neglected themselves, or they, and, and therefore, obviously, if they're pregnant, the prospect of becoming a mother, it's a reiteration of their abuse when they were young and their fear that the, um, pattern of abuse will be obviously perpetuated. So it's 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 very complex and we find it very difficult to talk about. And I think that's a shame because we need to allow women to be able to say that they are really struggling with motherhood, that they feel even possibly sometimes hateful towards their children. Um, these things need to come out because I think that if anybody says anything negative about their children or their feelings about their children, you know, we're sort of told to ring up Tusla. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a whole area that has to be uncovered. And Veronica, how should we approach this? I mean, these figures are terrifying and they're new. These are unprecedented. So if you had a role in government, for example, you say you had a magic wand, how would you start to ch- to, 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 um, to combat this? Well, I guess as Katie was saying, I think parenting classes are so important. Um, some of my patients, for example, who had long-term mental illness and they're maintained well on medication, they're functioning and, you know, they're, they're part of our psychiatric community where well, we would have a lot of input when they become parents. And so on an individual level, I understand how it's done. Um, and when I worked in London, there was a mothering service there where there were parental assessments and it was measured in a scientific clinical manner. And then the any deficits or problems in parenting were identified and parents were helped 
through these difficulties and challenges that they had. So I would say at a professional level, that's completely absent. There is no parenting assessment service in Ireland whatsoever. And I think at a community level, we need to develop those services. We can't continue to assume in a blind way that we're all natural mothers. You know, it just isn't the case. Some of us are more nurturing than others and, you know, other people have different sorts of gifts. But I think we need a greater societal awareness of the fact that mothering skills aren't automatic and parenting skills aren't automatic. Katie, I think a lot of people listening to this will be quite surprised to hear what Veronica has just said about there being no um, assessment um, or classes. Um, I thought there were classes some years ago. Have they fallen victim well, to the th- th- there I think there are parenting classes. I, mm. I mean, I may be wrong in that, but I would, there's no parental assessment. There's no kind of noticing that that mother or that father or those parents may need um, some kind of support or assessment until they perhaps come to the attention of Tulsa. Um, but, but I mean, I, to, to go back to the fact that, you know, not every woman is um, is a natural mother or natural um I think it's it's more than that as well, as well. I mean, because a lot of the women who I know took their own lives, and I'm obviously not going to name them, but I had um, a look at their kind of their Facebook posts and and to talk to people who knew them, and they were very adoring mothers. It's, it sounds like they, they, you know. So I, I think I think there's a despair that goes with that, that goes with this, you know, to, to progress to suicide, um, which is about poverty and which is about hopelessness and which is about. So some of the, some some mothers who take their own lives, I think, really believe that they're doing it for the interest in the interests of their children. That if they're out of the picture, that there there will be supports put in that will look after the children better than they can. And I th- I just think that's so bleak and and t- terrifying. Um, and that it is it's more than um, you know a, a disinclination to be a mother. In a lot of cases, it's a woman believing that's the best thing she can do for her children. And that's really terrifying. And that's about poverty and cuts and successive government's choices, which are posing risks to children. You know, I wrote a piece today saying Tuzla can't be expected to eliminate all risk to children because Tuzla is there sweeping up the mess that is left by successive, successive um, cuts and generations of of, uh, targeting poorer communities for the cuts and, and abandoning them. Veronica, some people listening to this will say, well, look, uh, you know, our mental health services are famously um, poor. Uh, People are regarding um, suicide now almost as an option because there is it's 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 uh, there's more of it. Um, What would you say to people like that? Can you put that in context for us? Well, you know, I have difficulty with the concept of mental health. very fundamentally. I mean, I'm a psychiatrist and I work with mental illness. So I know what I work in is called mental health services, but I think I work in the psychiatry services. I think that mental health is a much broader concept and mental health involves things like the marriage equality referendum and the more recent abortion referendum. For example, I had a family in today and their son has just come out and they're a very traditional, would have been an anti-gay family. And the son had massive difficulties uh, coming out to his family. And, you know, today there was relief all around because the family said, well, sure, it's accepted, isn't it? So I, separating out mental health from what's happening all around us isn't possible. 
uh, and ditto actually with my patients, but I deal with sick people and, you know, so I'm dealing with serious mental illness and severe and enduring mental illness and crises like suicidal issues. But the the concept of mental health is much broader and I think involves things like the things Kitty is talking about, like, you know, parenting classes, but individual parenting work. And the sort of work that Bernardo's does, I don't know if they still do, but I knew know a few years ago they did fantastic work with teenage um, girls who found themselves pregnant and wanted to continue with their pregnancies uh, uh, through to motherhood. So they provided fantastic services, but they were only picking out a very small minority of people who might need help. So I think mental health services... And indeed in Tala, they're delivered, a lot of them are delivered by the community. And again, they're the sort of things that uh, I think it is explained have probably suffered cutbacks. Um, the, the mental health services at a community level from the bottom up need to be extended and strengthened. And they can't be vicariously subject to cuts because they're part of the health of the whole community and of our society. So I would say things like, uh, you know, parenting support, support for children, like Jigsaw, the sort of supports they provide, like none of those things existed 20 years ago. And the more services like that we bring in, like NGOs and community-based mental health services, I think the better society will function and the better the overall mental health will be. I, I think it's unrealistic to expect psychiatrists who deal with mental illness to really deal with all of society's mental health. It's a much, much bigger conversation. Kitty, if you had a magic wand, where would you start? Because it's obviously the more Veronica talks there, the more you talk, the more mm. complex it all becomes. But where would you start? I'd start by talking to people in the communities um, and asking them what they need and ask and giving them the power to run and create those services because that's, you know, we in middle class Ireland have access to make choices about how, you know, how we run our lives and the services we want and how we're going to consume them and which ones we'll use. If you are absolutely dependent on a, um, a public health service or a public childcare service or a public transport service, this is pretty much non-existent, then you've no choices. And that's, you know, people feel better about themselves when they feel in control of their lives. So when they have choices where they can, you know, make the best decisions for them and their children. And so I would start by talking to the people. And, you know, people are already doing that within their communities and they should be brought in to. I mean, there's an I know there's a young woman in Ballyfermish, Lisa Palmer, who in reaction to a lot of these suicides um, went and started talking to her neighbours and going, what's going on? What do we need? You know, and she went to every knocked on every door in Cherry Orchard and she said she couldn't believe the stuff she was being told about suicide attempts, about one family who checks to make sure there's no rope in the house when they go out because they're worried about one of the one of the other family members. So and she, the, the silent suffering that goes on and they know what they need. You know, people, just because people are in deprived communities, they don't need us to come in and tell them 
what services they should have and what will make everything better for them. So I would start by talking to people. Um, the people that have the checkbooks should be going in and saying to the communities, what do you need? What do we need to do together? And what you know, how can we help you do that? And whether that's a crash in every housing estate and a job centre in every three housing estates and uh, access to um, third level education at a price which would ideally be free that, you know, people can afford all those things. So that's that's where I'd start by talking to people. Professor Veronica King, Kitty Holland, I think you should march up to government buildings this afternoon and give them your recipe for at least making a beginning on this absolutely awful story. Thank you both very, very much for talking to the Women's Podcast. Thank you, Kathy. Sure. Thank you, Veronica. Thanks. Thank you, Kitty. And that's it for today. That was a very thought-provoking episode, I'm sure you'll agree, and a lot to take home in terms of what we need to do for people who aren't visible to our eyes as we go about our daily work. Thank you to my guests, Irish Times Social Affairs correspondent Kitty Holland and consultant psychiatrist Professor Veronica O'Keen. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you do want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or you can email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. Today's podcast was produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.